The Gospel reading is from Luke chapter 15, verse 1 through 3, and 11b through 32. All the tax collectors and sinners were coming near to listen to Jesus, and the Pharisees and the scribes were grumbling and saying, This fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them. So Jesus told them this parable. There was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that will belong to me. So he divided his property between them. A few days later, the younger son gathered all he had and traveled to a distant country. And there he squandered his property in dissolute living. When he had spent everything, a severe famine took place throughout that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him to his fields to feed the pigs. He would gladly have filled himself with the pods that the pigs were eating, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired hands have bread enough and to spare? But here I am dying of hunger. I will get up and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me like one of your hired hands. So he set off and went to his father. But while he was still far off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran and put his arms around him and kissed him. Then the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, Quickly bring out a robe, the best one, and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet, and get the fatted calf and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to celebrate. Now his elder son was in the field, and when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. He called one of the slaves and asked what was going on. He replied, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fatted calf, because he has got him back safe and sound. Then he became angry and refused to go in. His father came out and began to plead with him. But he answered his father, Listen, for all these years I have been working like a slave for you, and I have never disobeyed your command. Yet you have never given me even a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came back, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him. Then the father said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice, because this brother of yours was dead and has come to life. He was lost and has been found. Here ends the Gospel reading. It used to be that when we did something stupid, such as, say, walk into an apparently invisible plate glass door or fall down the stairs, we'd try to keep that to ourselves. No sense letting others know we're idiots, after all.
but with all the video sharing options on the internet, it seems that our faux pas and misadventures are things to share with the whole world in high def using our smartphones. We've bought into Andy Warhol's 15 minutes of fame idea, even if that frame comes from a 15 second clip on a video sharing site and shows us just before we headed to the emergency room. But while most video posting sites carry a wide variety of content, one site is devoted entirely to others putting their, or most often others, failures on full display for everyone. It's called the fail blog. People post pictures and videos or upload goofy signs or sites that they've seen for everyone else to view and comment on. You'll see everything from a guy getting to pants by a bull at a bullfight to sport mascots with big furry heads brawling on a football field. Over each picture or video, the site stamps the word FAIL in big, bold letters. When we read the famous parable of the prodigal son in Luke 15, it begins to look like a similar photo album of failure, but without the humor. Clip number one shows a kid with his hand out, demanding, not asking, that he get his share of inheritance right now up front. A kid with his hand out isn't an unusual picture as any parent knows, but in this case, it's a particularly shocking one given the cultural conventions of the time. Jewish law dictated that when the father passed away, the eldest son would get two-thirds of the estate, a double portion, and the next youngest son, one-third. But this dad was still alive and well. So the younger son commits an egregious gaffe by basically saying, Pop, I wish you were dead. But forget the family business, and for that matter, the whole family. I'm out of here. The younger son's demand is disrespectful, rebellious, and foolish, a clear violation of the commandment to honor one's parents. In a culture where family and community always took priority over the individual, the kid's self-centered demand would have raised the eyebrows of those hearing the parable for the first time. They'd definitely lump him in, him in with those sinners that the Pharisees and scribes were accusing Jesus of befriending. Jesus offers clip number two. The suddenly wealthy kid living it up in some foreign country. There he squanders all the property by living a wild lifestyle. But after he's blown it all and his flat broke, he hires himself out to a pig farmer, which is about as unjewish as one can get. Pigs were an abomination to Jews and people who cared for swine were cursed. Jesus seems to be making the point that this kid has gone farther down than any of the sinners with whom he sat down to dinner. But the pigsty is also a place of revelation. In the midst of piles of pig poo, the son decided to go home. Notice, though, that at least initially, it's more of a pragmatic decision than a penitential one. 
He's a hired hand to the pig farmer and gets nothing. So he figures that if he goes home, he can at least get hired by the family business and get what the other servants are getting. Yeah, he'll have to do a mea culpa, but at least he'll have a full belly. Of course, we know the next picture, that of a father racing down the driveway to embrace his long-lost sinner son and calling for a great party to be thrown in his honor. In the first century context, Jesus' hearers might have been more likely to initially assign the biggest failure in the whole story to the father, who is really more the subject of the parable than the prodigal son for whom he's more readily known. In the first place, the Pharisees and scribes would certainly have stamped fail on the father's willingness to give the boy his inheritance in the first place. A good father would have squashed such a rebellion in a child rather than give in to it. And then, after this kid has the nerve to actually show his face back on the family farm, the father disgraces himself by running out to meet him while he was still far off. Not only that, the father actually forgives the boy and restores him to the status of son, even though the kid had disowned himself from the family. Where was the rebuke? Where was the lesson? Where was the justice in all that? Dad was a failure here for sure. The older son thinks so too. He wants justice, wants retribution, wants what's coming to him. But all Dad says is, we had to celebrate and rejoice because this brother of yours was dead and has come to life. He was lost and has been found. This parable of the loving father and his two sons was designed to invite selfish, righteous Pharisees and scribes to see how they had become the older brother, failing to experience the joy and celebration that God does when sinners, who includes all of us, come home. But it was also designed to remind us all of the embarrassing lengths to which God in the person of Jesus would go to make that homecoming a reality. Read the Gospels and you see that Jesus had a habit of turning failures into the heroes of his stories. The Good Samaritan and the Dishonest Manager are just two examples that frame this particular story in Luke. Jesus picked losers such as tax collectors to be his disciples and partied with people who everyone in polite and pious society would have considered to be failures on a whole lot of levels. Lent reminds us that the story of Jesus inevitably moves toward the cross, the ultimate picture of failure and disgrace. Jesus was willing to risk the embarrassment of being stripped, beaten, and hanged naked to die and to be held up as a failure for the whole world to see on that Friday. It is through failure that God chooses to save the world, chooses to save you. As Paul would later put it, the cross was and is a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles, but to those who are the called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. For God's foolishness is wiser than human wisdom, 
and God's weakness is stronger than human strength. We don't know for sure if it's true, but I can imagine the father with outstretched arms as he ran toward his son. One could wonder if Jesus, when getting to this point in the story where the forgiving father runs out to meet his wayward son, opened his arms wide to illustrate the point. Whether he did that day or not, we can't know. But we know that he did later. Jesus later stretched his hands as far open as possible, so far that it caused excruciating pain, and to show that those arms would always be open when we needed God's embrace. He had them nailed open on a cross. They still are. They are still wide open, ready to embrace you. Amen. I know 